The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition. Sorry, I'm fumbling around getting my microphone to work. It's working fine now, though, so thanks for joining us. Um, Jim is still on his travels around the world, so he'll be joining us remotely shortly from some unknown room in some unknown place. Um, Maybe he'll fill us in. Today, we're going to go over some questions, hopefully have some decent answers for you. If you want to send in your own questions... Email them directly to Jim. Jim at jimhelps.com is his email address. That's jimhelps.com. Make sure in the subject line you indicate that it's a question for the podcast, and we will add it to the hopper and uh, see if uh, it, it gets chosen. If we don't answer your specific question, my guess is we'll answer one substantially similar. So keep on listening. We appreciate you all listening and sending in questions. So we're... Uh, <clears throat> To that point where we will discover together exactly where Jim is on his trot, uh, you know, kind of where in the world is Carmen San Diego. This is a where in the world is uh, Jim Solnier today on October 20th as we record this. Um, is that I, my cue? Yeah, I think I know where you are, but I've, I've stopped keeping track of your detailed schedule. This trip has more moving parts to it than I think anyone you've ever taken. Yeah, it's confusing the hell out of me at times, too. But um, I am still in Massachusetts at my mom's house hmm. and visiting my dad also in my parents are divorced, but visiting my dad in the nursing home uh, where he now resides. So I am in a little town called Rochester, Massachusetts. That's where mom now lives. Dad no longer lives in New Bedford. He lives in a nursing home uh, in Fall River, Massachusetts. So anyways, that's what I'll be doing. I do apologize to people. I have caught a cold. Um, Seeing as that I'm dealing with elderly parents, I have been testing myself religiously uh, for COVID, and it seems to be a traditional head cold, the miserable head cold where you feel you have to sneeze and you never can and your nose is blocked and your eyes start running. Mm. I hate that. Miserable, miserable, miserable. And my head just feels cloudy and in a fog. 
So I may not be sharp today, but I'm going to try my hardest. Well, plus it's late in the day, so the plus it's late in the day, so the exhaustion is going to kick in. So this could be a very interesting show. It should. It's it's starting to kick in. That's the one thing I hate with colds. I was in bed last night by eight thirty, nine o'clock. I was just out. and now, yeah, towards the end of the day, it's it's setting in. But, yeah, it is about 5 o'clock here uh, in the East Coast. Dusk is coming in. It's getting dark. Uh, Chris, it's only like 3 o'clock where you are. And I looked on the weather app. It's like 80 degrees there today, is it not? Beautiful today here. Absolutely yeah, beautiful. Cloudy and dr- not drizzly, but just cloudy and a little coolish here today. Typical fall day in New England uh, here today. But I saw it was quite quite warm there. Uh, lately, after a little brief one or two night cold snap where you got down to about 30, uh, it's been warming up quite nice in Colorado. Yep, yep. I think it's going to get a little cooler next week, but I'm loving it right now. I'm sure you are. <clears throat> okay. Anyways, folks, uh, we have several questions to, to get to. Uh, I will start, as I always do, with a Social Security and IRMA question, followed by a annuity question, a new question of the week, some tips from our listeners when we asked for software for projecting Roth conversions. We got mm-hmm. a lot of replies, all revolving around the same two or three programs. Mm-hmm. So I'll just read. I'm not going to read every single email, but I do want to give a shout out uh, to everyone who did reply to our listener who had a question on software that they could use to project Roth conversions. Our listeners, Chris, came through and gave us a few recommendations that I will get to as well. Um, I will say it then and I will say it now. We did not test these software programs. I cannot vouch for their accuracy, but our listeners did give us some software programs that this listener could uh, consider. Hmm. And we'll get to that a little bit. Sounds but good. to begin, let's start with a Social Security question. How's that sound? Perfect. And as I expected. I'm sure you did. <laughs> he must be a longtime listener because he signed his name uh, George Clooney. And mm. I think you'll know I, I used to jokingly say, I don't know how I got on that little tangent, that uh, I looked like George Clooney. I look nothing like George Clooney, folks. But... I think as I was getting older and older, George Clooney just gets better and better looking as far as I'm concerned as he ages. I was willfully hoping I could age like George Clooney. Uh, so he signed it George Clooney, but gave his real name. He is from the state of Washington. Uh, oh, well, I was going to say, let me see if I can find a hint, but I kind of see late I, now. my head is all confused. <laughs> Because finding the hint now, I'm glad I picked up on it. I'd really look like a fool if I told you the state he's from and then give you the hint. He did give a hint. He says, I'm from the state that was named after a U.S. president. Kind of a lame hint, but uh, Washington. I remember that guy. You remember who? President Washington. You remember him? I'd never met him personally, obviously, but you don't remember okay. George Washington, the first president of the United States of America? And then he wrote, you can call me George Clooney, <laughs> though. And by the way, my wife, my wife wishes I was. <laughs> okay, so he's got a little sense of humor. All right. He says his question, a social security question. My wife is just a few days short of being nine years my junior. 
I plan on claiming Social Security in July 2024 when I turn 70. I have the largest benefit by far between the two of us. Originally, I thought that she should take her Social Security at 62 to help pay for her health insurance premiums through the ACA, otherwise known folks as Obamacare. So he will be on Medicare as he already is because he's 69. Uh, The wife is still paying for her health care. She's not eligible for Medicare yet. Uh, So she is going to try to get premium tax credits uh, through the ACA, the Affordable Care Act. However, if she, my wife, if she draws her Social Security at 62, am I correct in that she will not be able to draw the largest survivor benefit off of my Social Security? If this is true, should she wait until her full retirement age to apply for her Social Security? Or is she able to draw on hers at 62 until I pass on, then turn around and claim a survivor benefit? Is she able to also draw spousal? Spousal support will be larger than her Social Security. Um, Then he says in parentheses, by the way, how does the spousal benefit fit into any calculations? And then in all caps, all bold, followed by an exclamation point, he writes, Chris, I am confused. Okay. Well, this is, um, I wish the system was a little more straightforward in the rules for spousal benefits versus survivor benefits, sometimes called widow's benefits or widower's benefits, because there is nuances to the rules that are important in a case like this. So, Think of a spouse as having kind of eligibility to claim two ways on your record. So your spouse can actually receive a benefit from your earnings record. It can be in the form of a spousal benefit, which is the benefit available to them while you are still alive. Or there's a survivor benefit, which is available to them after you pass away. Now, there's an interrelation between one's own benefits and a spousal benefit, meaning uh, to, to use the story of this, this, uh, the author of this uh, email that came in. So his wife, his wife has her own benefit, but also is dually eligible or entitled to a spousal benefit once she gets uh, of age, if you will. And uh, so those kind of are two are interrelated. And what I mean by that is when you claim one, if you are eligible for both at the same time, you are entitled, uh, uh, you will be judged entitled to both and will be forced to claim both. That's essentially a way for them to say, uh, we realize you have your own benefit, your own retirement benefit, but uh, there's also this spousal benefit, which he says, because his benefit is so much bigger than hers, that she's she's going to be eligible for a spousal that's bigger than her own benefit. When she goes into claim, since he's going to claim this uh, coming July, uh, and if she's nine years his junior, she won't be old enough yet to uh, to claim uh, but so then when it, she rolls around to 62 and is able to claim a, a benefit, um, she'd be deemed or assumed to be claiming both the her own benefit and the spousal. Not that she gets the, it both in its entirety, 
the spousal benefit is going to be limited to the amount that will bring her own benefit up to the spousal benefit. So that's a fancy way of saying, essentially, when you're claiming both, which you're going to be deemed to be doing in this case, that she's going to receive her own benefit. And then on top of that, a spousal excess benefit if she's entitled, which sounds like in this case she is. So her own benefit and her spousal benefit are interrelated. And what I mean by that is when she claims early one, it's going to affect the other. There's no way to disconnect those two. But the survivor benefit is its own thing separate from those two. And what I mean by that is claiming your own benefit or a spousal benefit early and thus in experiencing a reduction for claiming early to either or both of those uh, benefits does not directly affect the survivor benefit. So he's particularly concerned about her getting her maximum survivor benefit, which her maximum survivor benefit will be the amount that he's collecting when he passes away. Uh, assuming he lives until next July when he can claim if, if he were to pass before July, um, of 2024, when he claims she would be entitled to potentially receive as much as uh, what he could have received if he'd claimed the day before he died. But let's assume he lives until next July and makes it to 70 and successfully claims. At that point, her survivor benefit becomes that benefit if he were to predecease her. The only way that benefit would be reduced is not because she might claim her own or her spousal benefit early but only if she were to claim the survivor benefit itself earlier than her full retirement age. For her, based on my guesses, you know, him turning 70 and her being nine years younger next July, that would put her in a circumstance where her full retirement age for survivor benefits is age 67. Um, if I'm off with my calculations a little bit uh, w- with her and I've got a bad assumption for her age, could be as as young as uh, 66 and 10 months, but it's likely 67 for for her full retirement age for survivor benefits. Remember, there's certain people that can have a different full retirement age for retirement benefits and survivor benefits being different. Could be up to two years different between those two. But based on what he's sharing, I think hers is going to be 67 for both. And so if he were to pass away soon after turning 70, it is true that if she switched directly to his survivor benefit at that time, it would not be in total what he was collecting because she would have been collecting it before her full retirement age. And thus there's a reduction factor involved for claiming it before the full retirement age. The only way for her to truly collect 100% of what he was collecting before he passed away would be for him to live long enough to to she get to 67 years old or if he were to pass away before that she not immediately switch to the survivor benefit stay with her own benefit which she's allowed to continue collecting until she reaches 67 and then at that time switch over to the survivor benefit those are the ways she could make sure to receive 100% of what he was collecting, his age 70 benefit. Um, But the good news is her choosing to claim it. I'm not saying she should or shouldn't. That's kind of a bigger question for their financial situation. 
her choosing to claim her own benefit and then deemed a spousal benefit, maybe as young as 62, the act of doing that will not jeopardize full survivor benefits. It's only if she were to switch to the survivor benefit before full retirement age would she jeopardize that full retirement or survivor benefit. But hopefully he'll live long enough. He'll live to uh, 75 at least, which would, you know, 75, 76 years old, which would get her, I believe, to 67. Uh, As long as he makes it there, then she could immediately switch to the survivor benefit in full upon his passing, assuming he goes first and not be affected in any way by the fact that she might have claimed her own benefit early. So I know this is, uh, you know, this, this is confusing. Uh, I know that to be true because we get so many questions along this vein, along this, uh, you know, this line of questioning, if you will, uh, about the rules of claiming early spousal versus survivor, but they are distinct and separate Just because you trigger one doesn't mean you will trigger the other one. Survivor benefits they keep as uh, essentially its its own standalone benefit with its own rules that aren't affected by things you do on the other side of the benefits with your own and your spousal benefit. So um, I think that tackled that one in total. So uh, Jim, you can uh, unmute if you're, I'm assuming you're muted since I haven't heard you coughing in the background with your head cold. (laughs) So, um, I'm muted to hide the coffee. I think I tackled that one in its entirety, but, uh, we will, we will face another one of these in the future. I'm sure, because this is something that, that still confuses people regularly. Um, so I'm happy to answer the question because I know there's people out there that have this exact question constantly. Alrighty, this next one is Irma. That's the second thing we go to now. Trying to see if he gave a hint. No, but he's actually in the same state. You just answered a question for. Washington again? He lives in the same state that you just answered the guy's question from. I know, and that was Washington. Washington, yes. Wow. Back-to-back Washingtonians. Back-to-back. Okay, he gives his real name, different real name, but we will call him George. Um, long question. His A lot of it is filler to his situation, and a lot of it is numbers, so I'm not going to give the numbers, but I will get to the point of his question. Hi, Jim and Chris. I enjoy your podcast and a regular listener. I've been especially interested in your discussions of Irma. However, one question remains with me. This is an issue that I am confronting. Then he gives an example. I'm not sure if it's his exact example, but this is the gist of his question. If a person requests an IRMA adjustment upon their retirement, they need to claim that their income, MAGI, M-A-G-I, Modified Adjusted Gross Income, will be reduced below the IRMA threshold in retirement. If Social Security grants the adjustment, they will review that person's income the following year after their taxes are filed. If that income is greater than the IRMA threshold, Social Security will require back payments. However, IRMA thresholds change every year. So which year's IRMA threshold will be used by Social Security in this situation? 
I have not found a definitive answer. He gets into, Chris, an example with his wife and different income amounts. Do you want me to get into all of that, or do you think you can address his question with what I read so far? No, I think I can address it because there is a definitive answer. And that is, in each and every year, for example, 2024 is coming up, and Medicare, to their credit, was a little early in their announcements this year letting us know what the Medicare premiums would be for next year, as well as the IRMA brackets for next year. So point blank, the Medicare premium surcharges for a given year, in this case, 2024, because I'm going to share with everybody what the 2024 numbers are, since we have them just hot off the presses here recently, uh, is based on the announced 2024 IRMA brackets. Now, there's always this question, which income counts towards those? Well, by default, the income that will be considered and applied to these brackets that have just been announced will be from two years prior. So 2022 for 2024, meaning by default, they're going to take your MAGI, M-A-G-I, your Modified Adjusted Gross Income, which is your AGI from your tax return plus tax-exempt interest. That's the, the Maggie formula for IRMA. They're going to take a look at that from 2022. And if you exceed the thresholds that they've announced for 2024 premiums, they will apply them. If you, however, had a life-changing event and, and, and filed SSA 44 to say, please, please do not use 2022's income to penalize me in 2024 because I've retired or I've had a divorce or I've had, you know, one of the life-changing events that qualifies you to ask for this forgiveness. You instead are asking them, instead of using 2022, please use my income for 2024 instead because it's lower. And I'm going to tell you an estimate of what that is and Medicare is going to believe you, or is going to trust you, but they're going to verify. They're going to do what this person said. After 2024 is over, they're going to check your 2024 tax return and see if your estimate was right. If it wasn't, if your income was bigger than what you said it was going to be, they're going to relook at the IRMA and back bill you for IRMA that you avoided by telling them too low of a Maggie, but then your Maggie ended up being bigger. In all cases, though, the, the tiers, the IRMA tiers they're using for 2024 premiums are the 2024 tiers. And you might say, well, in one case, they're using income from 2022. In the other case, they're using it from 2024. Exactly, because you ask them to do it. When you file SSA 44, that's what you're asking them to do. Please use my more recent income information instead just because your estimate was wrong and then they caught it in the end by f looking at your tax return doesn't mean that you know you get out of it somehow or they don't apply it in that way. They're still doing what you asked. They are applying the 2024 income to the 2024 IRMA brackets because of your filing of the SSA 44. So this couple things. This does happen to people where they will file, give an estimate for their Maggie, and then their Maggie's higher. And then 
eventually Medicare figures it out once you file your tax return and they will adjust for it and back bill you for an underpayment if that's in fact what actually happened. So there's nothing that went wrong here and there's no, um, the definitive answer is there's only one set of brackets, IRMA brackets that apply to 2024 Medicare premiums. Uh, so, so there's only one table to go look at. There's no ambiguity there. That is in fact the table. The only difference is, are you by default using the income from two years ago because you didn't ask them to do something different in an SSA 44? Or have you asked them to use a more recent year? And if that's true, that's the year they're going to use. They're still applying it or comparing it to the current brackets for the year. So to let everybody know what the 2024 numbers are, because we have them now, let's see here. I've got, uh, I've got them in my little file here. So for first of all, the Part B premium for 2024, and most people have heard this already because it was released a week or 10 days ago or something, and, and it's been in the press a little bit, but we haven't talked about it on the show, so I'll reveal it to our listeners. The Part B premium is going to go up uh, $9.80 to one seventy four seventy for 2024. That's the base standard premium for Medicare Part B. Uh, was one sixty four ninety in twenty twenty three. The annual deductible for Part B beneficiaries will be two hundred and forty bucks, up from two twenty six the year before. So that also adjusts a little bit the the annual deductible. And uh, so that's the scoop. That's the 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 premiums. Now the Irma brackets for next year. So for twenty twenty four, and those of you uh, that might be affected by this are going to receive uh, notices from Medicare in the mail in the not too distant future. If you're eligible for Medicare in twenty twenty four, either because you know ongoing or maybe twenty twenty four is your first year of eligibility, you're going to receive a letter um, in not you know not too long from now. It's always towards the end of the prior year, so we're coming up on the end of the year. And that letter will announce what I just told you, the new Part B base premium of one seventy four seventy, And then they will tell you what your estimated premiums are above that if you are affected by IRMA. And your IRMA is going to be based on your 2022 modified adjusted gross income. And the brackets are this. For a single individual filing an individual tax return, your Maggie to avoid the IRMA is one hundred three thousand dollars, one hundred three. So if you're tw- if you're single filing individual ter- returns and you filed a return in twenty twenty two tax year, so you probably filed it in twenty twenty three, but it was for tax year twenty twenty two. If your modified adjusted income gross income was equal to or less than $103,000, you will pay the base Medicare premium. If you're married filing joint, the married filing joint tax return from 2022 must show a modified adjusted gross income of double that, 206 or less. So that's the new number, 206, which is up from 2023, 194000 for a married couple, married filing joint, and 97000 for a single person. So those brackets increase with inflation each year, and there's the formal announcement of what those will be. The only question is going to be, and related back again to this person's email, are they going to use your 2022 Maggie? Or will you have asked them to use a more recent Maggie estimate because you had a life-changing event that qualified you to request such uh, consideration on the form SSA-44? So 
no matter which income you end up using two years ago or current, it's going to be compared to the 2024 IRMA brackets to determine 2024 Medicare premiums. So there's the definitive answer to uh, this particular person's question. Okay, perfect. If uh, Let me give a warning now. If you hear a loud, pitched, whiny dog bark, that's my mom's dog barking. Uh, it does that every now and then. When you were answering the question, it was muted, but he was barking at something. I don't know what, but he's only like 30 pounds, so it's that kind of small dog bark, that annoying, loud, small <laughs> dog bark. Okay. We'll keep so, that in mind. Anyways, There's no door on your room? The door is closed, and you still hear it as if oh, the door is open. Uh, tile floors or something, maybe. It's very. The whole house is, is hardwood, not hardwood floors. It's the tile that looks like hardwood, but it's not uh, hardwood. Got it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, everything echoes, and well, his bark is loud. Well, we're so happy well, you were willing to join us from your mother's bedroom. That will forgive the dog barking. <laughs> okay, let's get to the annuity question. All righty. Um, before I get to the annuity question, though, because the more I look at this question, I could finish the whole show with just this <laughs> question. Uh, if I go down all those rabbit holes, and, and I, I, I'll try not to because there's other questions I want to get to as well. Um, so I'm going to give the software recommendations that many, many listeners have been sending me. So again, folks, I'm just going to be reading off some of these answers. I thank everyone who helped this listener. If you remember, I believe it was last week's show, Chris. I could be wrong. Maybe it was the week before, but I think it was last week's. We had a listener ask if we knew of any retail software that he might be able to use to help project the value of some conversions taken into account. I think he was trying for ACA premium tax credits, among other things. Okay, so one person wrote, and he provided three recommendations. The first recommendation has been recommended by so many. New Retirement. Uh, newretirement.com is the website. I cannot attest to this software program at all. I know nothing about it. I know nothing about its capabilities. But a lot of people apparently who listen to our show use software called New Retirement. So that listener may want to check out newretirement.com. A few listeners, this person also, recommended Pralana Gold. P-R-A-L-A-N-A, Prolana Gold. I guess you could just Google hmm. Prolana Gold, but the website is ProlanaRetirementCalculator.com. And then someone recommended the Boggleheads Retiree Portfolio Model. I have no idea what that is. I'm not going to give the website because it's quite long. But I guess you could Google Boggleheads Retiree Portfolio Model. That sounds more like an investment it's, thing than a, a software. And it's Bogleheads, Bogle, remember? Say who what? It's Bogleheads, remember? Well, Jack, yeah, I know, but I don't know. Um, another one, who did he put? Okay, another shout out to Pralana. So he is, uh, this gentleman is a Pralana guy. 
Yeah, I hadn't heard of that one. I just looked it up. So, website and has has, different tools on it. There's another gentleman who is in the industry, he claims, our industry. Um, and he said, far better than new retirement is Prolana. So, there's another shout out to Prolana. Hmm. But there's a bunch who, here's, here's a gentleman. Uh, we use, we are do yourselfers, and the planning software we use is New Retirement from Stephen Chen and his incredible team. Um, he said, we've been using it for over a year. We started with the free version and moved to the uh, Planner Plus version. I'm guessing that's a subscription version. Uh, the, planner pl- the Planner Plus version includes many great features such as Roth Conversion Explorer. It also has Q&As, live webinars to learn how to use the software, and a course you can take on financial planning. So all of that is coming from new retirement. So anyways, folks, that's all I wanted to kind of share. Prolana and new retirement seem to be uh, the the hands-down favorite. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this gentleman here uh, wrote a very, very long email. So I do uh, thank him. I can't obviously say who it is, um, but he is from the state where Arthur Ashe was born. I have no idea who Arthur Ashe even is. The uh, tennis player. Oh, well, see, I don't follow tennis. So at least he knows I'm reading his email. Uh, that's Virginia, folks, for those who don't know. He has a very, very long email, again, uh, talking up uh, new retirement. Uh, He says it has what-if explorers that can project Social Security and one that projects Roth conversions. And it begins by asking for your desired strategy. And there's three strategies you can choose from. He claims you can choose the highest ending estate value, or you can choose tax bracket optimization, or you can choose lowest lifetime tax liability. So that's some of the capabilities of new retirement. Anyways, folks, Prolana and new retirement seem to be the hands-down favorites. I think everybody who had written to us uh, with their (coughs) suggestions of these two software programs, and we'll go from there. Okay, before I get into the annuity question, because again, I can go down a long rabbit hole with this annuity question the more I think about it. I want to get to the new question of the week because we've talked about this before. I know I did, but we don't talk about it often. Hmm. And I think it was a few years ago. So I just want to kind of clear the air for this listener and for all listeners in general. So he writes this. I thought you might get a kick out of a brief encounter I recently had with my credit union. I sent in a form to have a QCD distribution from my traditional IRA I hold there. There was a yes or no check on the form that asked, does this distribution consist entirely of pre-tax assets from the IRA? I checked no 
because some of my IRA assets are from taxable contributions I made in the late 70s and early 80s. This man's been involved in IRAs for a long time. IRAs came out in 73, folks. So he's been contributing to them for a very long time. And as he rightly points out, they never were deductible at Mm -hmm. one point. Um, He said, so in the late 70s and 80s, before I was eligible to make pre-tax contributions, most of my contributions were from pre-tax in my later years. But those original contributions were after tax. Mm -hmm. I track this on my tax return using 8606. Mm -hmm. So, so far, folks, nothing wrong here. He has an IRA with a mixture of pre-tax and post-tax contributions. His post-tax contributions were made many, many years ago in the 70s and 80s. You may have post-tax contributions in your IRA from any number of reasons. He tracks them using 8606, which is the form you use to track after-tax basis in an IRA. And for maybe newer listeners, the fact that he might only have pre-tax dollars at his credit union doesn't matter because the IRS considers all of your IRAs at all custodians one big IRA. So if people are worried about, oh, wait a minute, does he what if he's what if his after-tax basis is somewhere else at a different IRA? Does not matter. Good. I'm glad you mentioned that because he doesn't mention that. And Chris is correct, as always. If he had multiple IRAs uh, and if he had uh, IRAs with with uh, no after-tax contributions, the IRS is still going to consider that IRA as having some after-tax money in it because it's going to look at all your IRAs as one big IRA. Yep. Okay, he continues. The credit union guy said they will not do a QCD unless I answered yes to that question. I tried to explain to him how the mix of my pre-tax and post-tax contributions, though, was perfectly legitimate, but he still wasn't getting it. I suspect it was because he was young, he was too young to have been around when IRAs first appeared and post-tax contributions were common. So finally I said, think of my IRA as a big cup of coffee. It contains pre-tax contributions, the coffee, and post-tax contributions, the cream. But once they're both in the cup and stirred, you cannot separate them. That's the way my IRA is. He immediately understood and remarked what a wonderful explanation that was. I confess I didn't tell him that I did not come up with that analogy myself, but wanted to thank you for it. Now, you can thank me for it, but cream in the coffee came from Ed Slot. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really say that much anymore. I don't know if he does in his books, but during our classes with him, I haven't heard him utter cream in the coffee. But when I first heard it many, many years ago from him, I thought the same thing. What a wonderful analogy. So here's what I want to explain to this listener, though, and to all listeners contemplating doing a QCD and running into issues with a credit union or, or a brokerage. But also, I want to set the record straight to this listener. The pro rata rule 
is not going to come into play when making a QCD from an IRA if you have a pro rata issue of after-tax contributions. Because after-tax contributions cannot be used in a QCD. And a QCD is one of the ways to separate cream from the coffee. Best analogy is let's just say you have a $130,000 IRA and you are over the age of 70 and a half. 30,000 is after-tax contributions. 100,000 is pre-tax. Round numbers, never going to happen this way, but it'll carry my point across. You are allowed to make a $100,000 per year QCD. If you made a QCD from that $130,000 IRA, the only dollars that can move are the pre-tax contributions. Your post-tax contributions are not eligible to be made as a QCD. I think that's why the credit union was asking that question. They're wrong in the assumption when the guy told you from the credit union that if you answer yes to having pre and post tax, you can't do a QCD. That is blatantly wrong. And it's not up to the credit union or any custodian to track basis in an IRA. You track it on your tax return with form 8606. So the credit union shouldn't even have asked that And the credit union employee shouldn't have told you you can't make it. You can. And in my example, if somebody did that, they would now have $100,000 going to the charity as a QCD, Qualified Charitable Distribution, for a new listener who doesn't understand what that means. And, And very, very briefly, a QCD is only available to people over the age of 70 and a half You have to physically pass age 70 and a half. It's not in the year you turn 70 and a half. You actually have to be one day past 70 and a half. And it's when you can give up to $100,000 a year from your IRA tax-free to a charity without having to declare it as income first and then taking a subsequent deduction for the charitable donation. You don't even have to declare it as income. And that can help greatly in controlling IRMA, for instance, or for keeping you from being pushed into a higher tax bracket or from losing other deductions or exemptions you might be entitled to. So never declaring it as income in the first place is far better than declaring as income and then taking the deduction. And continuing with my example, What that person will have now, Chris, is $30,000 of after-tax remaining in that Mm -hmm. traditional IRA, which he or she could easily convert 100% tax-free to a Roth IRA. It is a strategy for separating cream from coffee that we don't talk about much because few people have significant after-tax dollars. You might have a million, million and a half, $2 million IRA, or even a $200,000 IRA, or $130,000 IRA in my example. But most people will only have five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, if that, of after-tax contributions. Some people have more. And it would 
entail having to give the entire IRA, all your IRAs, as Chris pointed out, not just that one, all your IRAs. In my $130,000 example, that person in my example had no other IRAs. If he had other IRAs, he'd have to give all his IRAs away to charity at the rate of 100000 a year to be left with just after-tax basis. So it's not something that people will do regularly because you have to give it all away. But I'm going to encourage anyone who is ever hit with a question like that and told you cannot do a QCD from there because you have after-tax dollars in it, that is just blatantly flat-out wrong. But your after-tax dollars will not be transferred. And it's not up to the custodian to determine which dollars are being transferred. You determine that with Form 8606. Anyway, maybe, maybe the credit union is trying to be nice. And, and in case he had after-tax basis at the credit union uh, in there, uh, and that was their only IRA. I guess they're, here's a warning flag, be, be warned. But you're right. It's not technically their place to gatekeep on this. It's, it's up to you, the IRA holder, to track basis and deal with the basis properly. So it's a very uh, – yeah, it's interesting they have that question on there. I'm surprised unless they've gotten in trouble before for maybe doing it and someone decided, hey, we better put this checkbox on here to make sure this doesn't happen again because we don't want people getting mad at us because they did something wrong. Because it's ultimately the IRA holder who did something wrong if they send if they try to send after-tax basis uh, to uh, charity through a QCD. It's not technically the credit union's fault for doing it. They were just following instructions as the custodian to, to do it on you know the request of the IRA holder. So um, I don't know. It's, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure um, what the situation is, but I wanted this listener to know. Even though you were trying to explain to him the pro rata rule, and you used the cream and the coffee, and that's a wonderful analogy to do it with, the pro rata rule does not apply to you to at QCD, all. Right. When doing a QCD, only pre-tax dollars can move. It's a it's a little way to to separate the cream from the coffee. Chris, going to. Hit you with a question right off the bat. I know you're going to hit this one out of the pot. Uh-oh. So it's uh, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded, full count, pitches coming towards you. You're either going to woof it or hit it out of the pot. What is the best way that we always talk about for separating cream from the coffee? Oh, that is an easy one. That's that you lobbed it to me real easy on that last pitch. <laughs> so, so the most effective way where you don't have to give away your money to do it <laughs> is to. Uh, um, Roll, if possible, if you're a participant in an employer plan that allows roll-ins, roll into your 401k at work, your IRAs, and you're not allowed to roll in after-tax basis. So what that will do is be a separator of cream and coffee, and the the coffee will end up in the 401k. The cream, the after-tax piece, will be left behind. You can then subsequently convert that tax-free to a Roth IRA and then waiting until the next tax year if you want it to get it back out of the 401k, as long as the 401k allows it, which they generally do, the you can move that money back out. You just can't pro- do the whole thing in the same tax year because that uh, uh, will still end up being a pro rata rule violation. But um, that's the that's the 
most effective way of doing it. And cause you get to keep all the money still, you're not giving it away via QCD just to get some cream left over for yourself. Yep. He, he hit the ball out of the park with that one. A couple of points of clarity. I do want to add. So that strategy is often used by people getting ready to retire. We have made the recommendation to people who, who are working with us in the past. If we notice that they have substantial or, or even minimal, it's up to them to determine what substantial is, uh, after-tax dollars in an IRA. All your IRAs must be moved, not just the IRA with the uh, after-tax contribution. In the case of married couples, remember the I in IRA stands for individual, so you don't have to move both spouses, but just one spouse if they're trying to separate their cream from the coffee, it works best in the year you're going to retire. But as Chris said, you cannot move the money back to an IRA until the following tax year. And the reason is simple. Let's just say you had, I'm going to make these numbers up again, uh, $600,000 in an IRA. No other IRAs, just simple $600,000 IRA. And you had a 401k at your current employer. And you're going to retire that year. And it's June, say. And, excuse me, let's just say basis is $50,000 inside that $600,000 IRA. So you have $50,000 of after-tax money. Most people would love to be able to take that money out and not pay taxes on it. Well, because of the pro rata rule, every dollar you take out of that $600,000 IRA is going to represent a return of the 600, excuse me, a return of the $550,000 pre-tax money and the $50,000 after-tax money. I don't have my calculator handy, but do you, what, what is that percentage come to? Give me the numbers again. I was thinking about something else. <laughs> I should be able to do that in my head. Yeah. They're round numbers. 600,000 balance, 50,000 basis. Okay. So the 50 out of 600 is going to be 8.3%. 8.3. So for every dollar out, about 8 cents of it, 8.3 cents, is considered your basis. It's hard to get all 50 out, but everybody would want that 50 out. Yeah. Oh, better yet, get that 50 into a Roth. Because it will grow tax-free. So let's say again, it's June and the person is going to retire. So they take that 600000 they move it to their employer's 401k. Well, 550 of it they do. Right. That's what I was going to say. Okay. The employer is going to specifically say on the transfer form on the in, is there after-tax basis? If so, that cannot move in. And you would check yes and you would indicate move 550000 so 550000 would move from the IRA into the 401k. When these are done, uh, it's actually the IRA that's going to push it out to the 401k. It's one of the few instances where the current IRA pushes. Because most of the time, if you move IRA to IRA, the receiving IRA sends the paperwork and pulls IRA assets into it. But when you move an IRA to a 401k, the 401k does not pull the assets into it. You have to get a hold of your IRA custodian and they push the assets out. And you will tell them to push $550,000 out because the $50,000 of after-tax money cannot, by law, 
go into the 401k. Now you have 50,000 of after-tax money. You have two choices, three choices. You could leave it inside the IRA, which would defeat the whole purpose of what you just did. So you're not going to do that. You could take that $50,000 out and pay no taxes on it because it's just after-tax dollars. Now, if you were under 59 and a half, um, yeah, if you were under 59 and a half and you took that out, and I'm my head is cloudy now, is there a 10%? We just had this question. Yeah, if it's in a traditional IRA, but it's after-tax basis, if the, no, there's no penalty if there was no tax owed in the first place. I'm I'm pretty sure that's what the determination was. I'm going to say but, that sounds correct, but I'm not 100% sure. I know we had this issue uh, with the abolishment under Secure 2 of the 10% early withdrawal penalty um, on net income, NIA, net income attributable on an excess contribution. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the after-tax contributions will not be subject to the 10% early withdrawal penalty. Oh no, it's yeah. coming from a traditional IRA. Yeah, that's the kicker. I'm hesitant is it's on that one. Yeah. I'm hesitant. We we need yeah. our CPA handy because my head is clogged. But anyways, back to my example. It's such here, a weird folks. example. People aren't going to usually face that situation anyway. But True. Yeah. Now the fifty thousand could also, which is what most people are going to do with it, they're going to convert it into a Roth IRA instead of withdrawing it out, like I said. So those dollars would get converted tax free because they're after tax dollars. And that's a wonderful way to separate cream from coffee. But if you did all that in June, say it's all wrapped up by August. Now you retire and then you move those dollars from the employer's 401k because you just separated the cream from coffee. You moved your 401k dollars out. Not only the 550 you moved in, but also let's say there was 400,000 in there. You moved that 400,000, so 950 total back into an IRA. You followed all the steps and you're thinking, I got a $50,000 tax-free Roth conversion. The problem is the IRS is gonna look at the December 31st value of your IRAs for determining the pro rata rule. So they're gonna say, hey, yeah, you moved 500,000 out, you had just 50,000 of after tax. We're not disputing that. You did a legitimate tax-free conversion, but we're not looking at what the value was in June when you did all this. We're looking at the value of the IRAs on December 31st. And on December 31st, you now had 950,000 in an IRA. And in our opinion, on that $50,000 contribution, it's going to be a lot smaller, the, the, the calculation. What is it now? 50000 but 950 total? 5.26%. So 95% of that $50,000 Roth conversion will now be subject to taxes. Right. Taxes that you'd we- ultimately pay anyway to be, you know full story. It's not like you're being taxed when you shouldn't. It's just that you were being taxed when you weren't expecting it. But you didn't separate the cream from coffee. And you thought you were going to have a $50,000 tax-free Roth conversion because you only converted after tax dollars. And as Goma Pyle would say, surprise, surprise, surprise. The IRS is going to say, no, we're going to consider essentially 45,000 of that to be 
pot of your pre-tax contributions <laughs> and yeah. only 5000 to be the after-tax, even though when you did it, you could legitimately claim it was all after-tax. Yeah. So that's why we always tell people if you're going to separate cream from coffee by washing it, it's kind of like money laundering almost in, in, in a bad analogy kind of verbiage. But you're going to wash that account through the 401k and then move it back out. And the only thing left is going to be after-tax dollars. You have to wait till at least the next tax year. So if you moved the money back to an IRA on January 2nd, can't do it January 1st, it's a holiday. If you moved it back on January 2nd, no harm, no foul. But if you moved the IRAs back on December 31st, all of a sudden, yep. taxes on what you thought was going to be a tax-free conversion. Yep. So separating the cream from coffee is fairly easy, but you need to do it over two tax years. You don't have to keep your money in the employer 401k if you don't like the 401k. But if you just want to kind of wash that money out, um, you, you can, but over two tax years. Did you happen to Google if there's a 10% early withdrawal penalty on basis no, because that one's going to take some digging to get a trustworthy answer, because that's going to be a bizarro question to Google. It's we're going to have, I'm going to have to weed through a bunch of non-related questions. So I will get it because I am going to be asking the Ed Slot Group a question, because as we were literally answering this question, it's amazing I can do two things at once with my head cold. We received an email. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and let's see if you and I can. We, this is definitely an Ed Slot question. I think I know the answer, and the answer is no, you can't do it. But I don't know. And I just thought, this is a cool question. So here we go, folks. This is, this is live. This literally came in as I was recording. Hmm. I don't think they can do it, but I'm going to ask. You give me your opinion, Chris. And listeners along, because we're not going to get the final answer until next week when I can get a hold of Ed Slot. So he writes, Dear Jim and Chris, thank you for all of your help over the years. Your podcast has been instrumental in my technical knowledge as a practicing CFP and CPA, working for a planning firm in the Kansas City area. We have been prom excuse me, we have been processing significant amounts of Roth conversions and RMDs for clients this time of year. And that is very typical, folks. Yeah. Any of you who are planning on doing tax planning, especially tax optimization planning, when you're going to try to look at your income for the year and estimate what the total income for this year is going to be and try to determine should you do any Roth conversions this year to top off your brackets? Should you pull any spending that you want to do next year or distributions from your retirement accounts next year into this tax year? Would that be better than waiting to next tax year? Or should you defer any income this year and not make any more income, not do any conversions, not declare any income at all if that's possible? So those types of calculations are usually done uh, October and November because by December you have to have all the, the um, trade uh, requests or administration requests into your custodian because they are swamped in December. That is the busiest time for, for custodians is December because everyone's doing year-end tax planning. 
So it doesn't surprise me that this CFP CPA, Chris, is being swamped right now. Here's the interesting question. Mm -hmm. Think this through. All of you think this through. Chris and I have covered this on the podcast. So put your thinking cap on. This is interesting. We are processing a significant amount of Roth conversions and RMDs for clients this time of year. And our team is curious. We understand the RMD must technically be satisfied before any Roth conversions can be executed. I'm going to pause there. It's not technically, listener. Mm -hmm. You must satisfy an RMD first because when a client is subject or a listener, if you do it yourself, when you are subject to required minimum distributions, the first dollars out of your IRA will always be considered the RMD. And Chris, can RMDs be converted? Never, because they can't be rolled over. And every conversion is a rollover. Exactly. He hit the nail on the head. So here's what they're trying to do. He says, what if you execute both the RMD and Roth conversion on the same day at the same time? time. We have a client who has an RMD of 25000 He plans to use this RMD to cover taxes on a $100,000 conversion. We want to send 20000 to the federal government and 5000 to his state. So he can, I'm trying to shorten this. Uh, to his state on the $100,000 Roth conversion. Will we be able to get credit for the RMD by taking the $100,000 out of the IRA and simultaneously send $20,000 to the federal government, $5,000 to the state government? This will satisfy his RMD. And have the net 75000 go at the same time into a Roth as a conversion. This will be done all in the same transaction. It seems to me that this will be compliant. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious what you and your team dig up. Here's my initial. When I, when I was reading this mm-hmm. and trying to answer another question at the same time, the thing that's running through my head is no, I think I think the IRS is going to say the conversion is done first no. because the taxes are not owed until the conversion is done. No, I think you're overthinking it. And, and so I'm going to disagree with you and we'll see what Ed Slot and his minions say. The reason why I think this will work is that by rule, the first dollars out are considered RMDs. So when you take $100,000 out of there, the first 25000 of that is considered RMD. There's and nothing, RMDs can't be rolled over or converted, and, so it goes and, to taxes. And they're not doing that. Ah, ah. They're, they're sending it out. And there's nothing they can do to avoid the first 25000 being considered RMD because that's the rule. And it doesn't matter the ordering of, of, of their attempt here. You know, you can you know, micro examine this and say, well, you know, did the, did the tax bill come out first before it hit the Roth? You know, it's not going to matter in the grand scheme of things. I, I don't think, I think this would work um, because the IRS won't allow you to consider the first 25, anything other than the RMD. And as long as you didn't 
roll it over as long as it went out. The fact that it went to the tax authorities doesn't matter. As long as it went out, they're going to say, yep, look, they satisfied the 25 and then they did it also did a $75,000 RMD or uh, Roth conversion. I like Chris's train of thought on that folks. I, I can't change my answer. Obviously mm-hmm. I'm still of the belief there could be a gotcha somewhere in yeah. here. I honestly don't know this answer. Yeah. And I tell you what I'll do, Chris, when I email Ed Slot this scenario and ask what they feel, I'll also ask them that, hey, if a client had, you know, um, X amount of dollars in an IRA, moved into his 401k under the age of 59 and a half, the, the only dollars now left are after-tax dollars oh. and he took them out tax-free, will he owe a 10% penalty? So I'll get that one ironed out okay. as well. We'll get, yeah. we'll get two stones for one bird. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> Um, two birds for once, uh, two, yep. Yeah. You can do it. Kill two birds with one stone. Two birds with one stone. Yep. Right. That's what I said, isn't it? No, you almost got there, but not quite. It's because of the cold medicine. It's fine. You're forgiven. (laughs) Yeah. Head cold. Really? The one thing we can't do because I know it's going to take a long time. We can't do that annuity email. Oh goodness. You, you've already, sucked up time with all this other stuff so well let me find a real quick i'm supposed to do one annuity question a week oh do i have time for one quick let's see if i can find I a don't real think you can do a quick one is the problem well let me see no nope. that was certainly not going to be a quick answer um oh this is a short question let me see Hold on. oh perfect this one's a short one excellent all right okay I mean, literally, this question is, is only two sentences. If I'm not worried about a, the question. I'm worried about your answer. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I use, <laughs> don't make me laugh with a head cold. If I use $100,000 of my IRA deferred money to buy an income annuity, is there any way of getting a tax deferral on the money I withdraw to buy the annuity. That's an easy oh, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to answer in case you Yes, fear I'll answer I, it because I'm fearful forever. for your answer. Yes. So when you buy an IRA, I'm buying an annuity with IRA money, you can do it essentially within the IRA wrapper. So the taxes will be you know, created as those annuity payments come out of that annuity and are paid to you. So there, you retain the deferral. You don't cash out your IRA and then take the money and go buy an annuity. You buy what's called a qualified annuity, which is essentially an annuity in a IRA wrapper at the insurance company. And while you're moving, you know, you're technically moving the money maybe from your existing IRA at a more traditional custodian. Uh, over to the insurance company, it's not a distribution. It's literally a rollover and staying within the IRA system, if you will. And then as those payments come out, that's when you'll be taxed. So you can absolutely defer that amount, that 100000 in your case that you are buying. You just need to buy a qualified annuity that will be a rollover to the insurance company and you're good to go. See that? Told you. Short answer right there. We got the annuity question as well. And we got that squirrel question that came in. And we'll see if Chris is right or if I'm right. I I fully am open to the fact that there could be a gotcha that Ed Slot's team will share with us. I'd love to hear it. but I like your train of thought, though, on that. Mm -hmm. Because I was sitting here trying to think, is the pro rata rule going to apply? 
Are they going to assume, no, the conversion needs to be done and then the taxes are paid? But your rationale makes sense in this. But that that's what might bite you in the hiney, Chris. Right. It makes sense. <laughs> I, I agree. I'm worried about it, too. <laughs> and we're dealing with the government here. But Chris is right. If the if one assumes the first dollars out are always the RMD and RMDs cannot be converted, the IRS should say, okay, the first money out went for taxes because you are smart enough to know, listener, that your RMD can't be converted. So you're obviously sending us the tax withholding first. My answer is more on the fact that this is a government bureaucracy and they exist solely to screw you and get as much money out of you as they can. So they're going to turn around and assume the dollars that were converted were part of the RMD and they're going to nail you yeah. off. And one, one last thing I'll mention to this person, the, the CFP C, CPA, is if you're worried about this or we come back with, you know, Ed Slot says there is a gotcha. Just do a $25,000 distribution from the IRA, direct the entirety as withholding to the federal and state, then do a $75,000 conversion. Right. No problem. It doesn't have to be, exactly. You don't have to do it with one bit of paperwork. And on conversion paperwork, folks, you can do everything at once. You can say, convert $100,000, put $75,000 in a Roth, Mm -hmm. send twenty dollars to the feds and five dollars to whatever his state is. Yes, you can do it all on one, and that's what I think he's trying to do. But Chris is 100% correct. He he took the simplified approach. First, he took the rational approach, which I think is going to screw him. Then he took the simplified approach. Do one full distribution, $25,000, that takes care of the RMD, Mm -hmm. send 20,000 to the feds, 5,000 to the state, process that. And then on the same day. Right, immediately do the other. Do the other. Now at least you can say, look, we did it first. We sent this in. Uh, You might want to wait till the next day. I don't think there's a massive need to have to do it at the same time, but that might be the, the simple answer. But I'm, con- I'm, I'm, I'm I still think the first way is going to work, but if not, that, that's the workaround. Just do it in two. Yeah. And then all of you, because we'll have the answer next week, can, can think this through and, and um, we'll, we'll let you know yeah. next Friday, well, Saturday, you hear it, uh, what the answer is. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks again for everybody listening and thanks for, uh, Uh, joining me even when you're not feeling well. It's even more appreciated. So you go hopefully get healthy and have a nice remaining visit with your mom before you head off to talk to Ed Slot. Well, no, no, not yet. I go to Philly uh, on Monday. I'll be in Philadelphia, folks, uh, Monday night through Friday afternoon. Um, And then on Friday afternoon, I land in Cincinnati, which is the airport is in northern Kentucky. And I will be in Cincinnati area for two and a half weeks. I already have uh, one gentleman, a, a young planner, it looks like, is going to meet me in a city called Richmond. I'm supposed to be hiking about 45 minutes south of there um, on one of the Mondays that I'm there. So I told him I would meet him in the fine town of Richmond, which I've never been to. But if anybody's in the Cincinnati area and you want to try getting together, I can't promise you I can, but I will have a couple of weeks free. And uh, be more than happy to, to meet up with someone. I am going to meet a gentleman in Lexington that I met at the Rock Retirement Club. Um, so we'll be meeting in Lexington because I'm going to be heading down 
to uh, Berea, Kentucky, as well as the Red River Gorge of both weekends to do some Kentucky hiking. So that should be fun as well. Um, anyways, that's about it, folks. That wraps up for me. I think Chris is all set as well. Yep. Thanks again, everybody. We'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 